Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. All right. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, we're going to be there here in just a moment. I remember as a, uh, I guess it was about 19 when, when this happened, but I, my, um, one of my best friends in college, his name was Boyd, and he was married to a girl named Brittany, and, or got married to a girl named Brittany, but she began to tell me about her friend Lauren, who Lauren is now my wife, so nothing I'm about to say should sound too weird. Um, but uh, she started telling me about this girl named Lauren, and eventually after even months maybe of tell me about her and she's great, you should meet her. We lived in different cities at the time, Lauren and I. And uh, Brittany finally showed me a picture of Lauren. And as a 19 year old guy, when I saw this picture of this beautiful girl, I was like, I mean, yeah, I guess she seems pretty cool actually. I guess we could talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> a, a picture can change everything, right? That's why um, when you go on vacation, if you go somewhere beautiful like Lubbock, when you, uh, when you come back, or get back, whatever, you show people, you're, you're telling them about your experience and how great it was, but you want to show them pictures, right? Because a picture is worth what, a thousand words, right? Or like you know, some young parents in here, um, or even and grandparents do the same thing. Uh, you can tell people about your kid or your grandkid, but you really want to show them a picture, right? Because a, a picture changes everything. One thing I love about uh, the Old Testament and, and the narratives in the Old Testament is it gives us the, these pictures of God. So yes, it explicitly tells us about God. I'm not saying we have to try to figure it out it's this abstract picture. No, it's, it's clear, but it does give us this, this picture that maybe we don't always get in the epistles. So again, we love the epistles for sure, the New, Paul's New Testament letters, but often those are more point by point by point based. And the, the narratives, you get this clear picture of God, which can be really insightful and really um, powerful. My hope this morning is that we get a clear picture of who God showed himself to be in the book of Exodus and who he still is today. The God of Exodus is, is the God of the Bible who is our God as believers. Um, so I'll be honest, today there's not like a ton of application and all these things. Really, we want to just see um, a fresh but old <laughs> picture of who God is. So if you would, take a moment just to pray that God will speak to you this morning, that you'll see him clearly. I'll pray as well. God, we love you and we're, we're grateful for your word and look forward to what you're gonna do in our lives this morning. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Now on, the, on this first point, I know, I know some of y'all, you're all ready, you got your pen ready, you wanna fill in those two blanks, just hang in there for a second, okay? You won't miss it, I promise. Um, build some, you know, keep you waiting, keep you on your edge of your seat a little bit. So chapter two, verse 23, some context before we read that. Again, we were in Genesis last week, so you remember, um, this is important, God made a covenant with 
Abraham in Genesis 12. So that's not what we covered really in the venue or in here last week, but um, as the main passage. But Genesis 12, God made a covenant with Abraham in which he said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we see throughout the book of Genesis that God said, I'm gonna take you to the promised land, right? Um, And Abraham dwelt there. And then at the end of Genesis, you've got Joseph taking Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob was Joseph's dad, taking Jacob and his brothers, or Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, to Egypt, not in the promised land, right? And God uses Joseph powerfully in Egypt, but we learn in Exodus, beginning of Exodus, that a new Pharaoh eventually rose to rule in Egypt. It's funny, people tend to forget things, don't they? (laughs) So this new Pharaoh comes to power in Egypt, and he doesn't remember the covenant of God because he didn't care about it. He doesn't remember the blessing that Joseph was to the people of Egypt because he didn't care about it and time had passed. And so what happens in the beginning of Exodus, we see that the Israelites, the Hebrews were subjected to intense slavery. It was terrible. That's where we pick up in Exodus chapter two, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So this is a key point in Exodus, they're in slavery, it seems hopeless, but God remembers his covenant with the people. It says he heard their, their groaning come up to him. And the covenant, again, it goes back to what we read a second, or I read a second ago in Genesis 12, that he was gonna bless Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And that his, his children would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. He remembered his covenant with them. So covenant, what is a Covenant. It's an unbreakable promise. So it's not a contract that if you make me mad, I'll break this off. No, a covenant is an unbreakable promise. Do any of you, uh, if you don't have this, I highly recommend it. Any of you have the book by Sally Lloyd-Jones called the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible? I highly recommend it for your kids or for your grandkids. It shows, like we're wanting to show in this series, really how all the scripture points to Jesus. Really, really good book. But even though it's a children's book, I think she may have one of the best definitions of what a biblical covenant is. And she ends every, almost every story in that book with this, so spoiler alert, sorry. But she says that a covenant is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I'm gonna read that again. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So let's maybe use that definition as we read verse 24. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Now let's think about this word remember for a second. 
Is it remember like God's in heaven and he's like, oh, shoot. Oh, I forgot about those people. Um, my bad. No, this is not remember like a student walks into the classroom and sees on the whiteboard that a paper was due and they're like, oh. <laughs> it's not remember like I do sometimes and like, you're right, my love. I was supposed to get the groceries. You're right. I, I remember now. No, God did not forget, right? He remembered, as I think the text defines, he heard, he saw, he knew. So it's not that he, he ever forgot. He never forgot his promise, his covenant, saying, yes, I remember. Yes, I know. Yes, I hear. Yes, I see. Yes, I will be faithful to my promise. God never forgets his promises. So here's, here's the first thing. Those are small little few verses I want us to see this morning. The first thing, God remembers. Not like, oh, I forgot and I remember. No, he remembers. He always remembers his covenant promises. He's always going to be faithful to those promises. So you could say, yes, God hears you. Yes, he sees you. Yes, he knows you if you are in covenant with him. So that was true of God then in the Israelites and it's true of God now with God's people. So friend, if you are in covenant with God, so you have a relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a covenant with God, which he says, I love you with an unbreakable, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. If you are in Christ, you have that covenant with God and he will always remember you in your hurts, in your pains, in your sorrows, just like the Israelites. He hears you, he sees you, he knows you, he remembers you. Amen? Now I think it's worth pointing out because of all the trash that goes on in American, uh, especially television ministry sometimes, which we're on television, so catch 22. But <laughs> this is not, let's just be clear when we say right, God remembers his promises and if you're in covenant with God, then he's gonna be faithful to you. That doesn't mean God's faithful to me, so whatever I want, I can have. This is not a promise of, you know what? God set, the, God set the Israelites free and they plundered the Egyptians. So he's gonna set me free and I can plunder whatever I want. This is not about health and wealth. God did not promise that you would be rich. God did not promise that you would have an easy life. Amen? He didn't promise those things. I think Jesus, if, if when we go to him, if, if, if you were to go to him like, yeah, life is supposed to be full of blessing and so easy, he would be like, you know I died on a cross, right? <laughs> or Paul, Paul, like, in being a Christ follower, it's so easy and life is perfect. He's like, you know, I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was tortured, I was martyred for the faith. Like, there's a disconnect here. So this is not some verse that we could be ridiculous with and try to lay claim to some ridiculous promise of name it and claim it. What has God promised to those who are in covenant with him? I think it's actually much better than that prosperity trash. <laughs> it's actually things like this from Psalm 34, 18, that he is near to the brokenhearted. See, when you're brokenhearted, you don't need uh, all of a sudden to have this huge income. You need the presence of God. He says he's near to the brokenhearted. What else has he promised? Psalm 145, 18, that he's near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Jesus he did promise you. He said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. <laughs> That's a promise. Hey, you're gonna have trouble, which can we identify that? 
Yeah, I think so. You're gonna have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, is what he said. He didn't say, you can overcome the world because you're so awesome. It's your best life now. He didn't say that. He said, I've overcome the world. You have hope because of me. That's what he promised. He promised Philippians 1, 6, that he's gonna finish the work that he started in us. That's a promise. So dadgummit, we fight and struggle with sin till the day that we die. But when we are with Jesus in heaven, that fight will be over. He's gonna finish what he started. It says that he's gone to prepare a place for us and he's gonna take us with him. Those are some of the promises that we have in this covenant with him. And he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So friend, no matter what hole you're in, no matter what pattern of struggle you're in, no matter how much hurt you're in, I want you to know that God hears you, he sees you, he knows you. And if you're in covenant with him, he remembers you. No matter how forgotten you feel, God has never forgotten you. He remembers. And because of that, he's faithful. I think it was Thursday night. Uh, I'd gone to grab some dinner and uh, for our family and Lauren had taken the kids to the park and they were coming back from the park right as I was starting to pull into the, to the garage, into the driveway. And so she kind of gets them back so I can pull in. And uh, I go to hit the, the button to open the garage door and as the second I hit the button, my daughter, two and a half years old, Carolina Tate, turns from like waving at me and grabs onto the handles of the garage door. <laughs> and it's one of those where you just, it's, it feels like time is standing still, but you can't do anything, right? I, I'm trying to hit the button to make it stop. And so sure enough, I mean, she's, she's got some grip for a little two and a half year old. She's hanging on and she starts to go up with the garage door. Well, I, I won't turn around, but I can, I'm just looking at the back of her as she's on the garage door. And all I see is her little head going, <laughs> and she's going, my wife later told me that she was going, mama, help, help, mama, help. <laughs> she, she was, where are you? And so sure enough, Lauren ran, ran over there and grabbed her off the door and set her down and looked at me like, what just happened? <laughs> and I, I got out and Carolina said, I, I ride the garage, dada. It's like, you did. We're not doing that ride again, no. So this year, the good news is we don't have to go to Disney. We can just ride the garage. <clears throat> but you know what? You know what's funny? Lauren, my wife, had Carolina take froze with fear and just hang on what she was doing. But had she just hung on and not said anything, like not cried out for help, Lauren would not have said, stinks to be you, sister. <laughs> she would not have been like, oh, that's unfortunate. No, Lauren went into mama bear mode, right? And she snatched her down. Even if Caroline Tate would not have wanted to help Lauren because she, in a sense, has an unbreaking, always and forever kind of love, she was gonna snatch her down. See, friend, whether you are crying out or not, if you are in covenant with God, you've come into covenant with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, even when your life is in shambles and you don't have the strength to, to cry out for help, God, because he's in covenant with you, he says, I see you, I hear you, I remember you, I got you. Amen. He's faithful to his promises. So, so, so wait on him. He's faithful, so, so don't give up. Wait on him. Trust that he sees you. Even when you're struggling, God remembers. He remembers. Now, if God remembers, remembered, which he does, but had no power to be faithful to his promises and the things he remembers to, to do for us, 
If he had no power to do anything about it, it wouldn't be any good. Kind of like if I was like, y'all, I promise you this year, Texas Tech is gonna win the national championship in football, <laughs> which would be awesome. If I promised you that, you would be like, that's cute, but you have no power over that, right? Like you can't do anything about that whatsoever. It's not how it is with God. See, God, as we see in Exodus, the picture we see in Exodus, that he, he's not some mamby-pamby, wussy God who's like, I love you, but I can't do anything. No, he is the almighty, powerful, reigning king. Here's the second thing we need to see, a glimpse of God in Exodus. That is God reigns. He reigns. He's on the throne. And now we're gonna kind of, as you can see from the text on the screen, we're gonna kind of hopscotch is that, am I saying that right? It doesn't sound right. Like when you skip along, kind of skip through these, these passages quickly. So look with me at Exodus chapter seven, verse three. This is uh, before the first plague where God's going to turn the water of the Nile into blood. And he says, chapter seven, verse three, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And guess what? That's exactly what he went on to do. Now flip over to chapter nine, verse 13. Just for some context, as you're flipping, God has sent frogs, gnats, and flies. He's, he's killed the livestock of the Egyptians. Excuse me. He sent terrible uh, skin disease of boils on the Egyptians, and he's fixing to rain down a terrible historical-type hailstorm on the Egyptians. And so this is chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Uh. He didn't actually do the uh, but it's a good song. That they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hell to fall such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So he says, Pharaoh, I could have already struck you down, but I'm gonna drag this out a little longer because I want you to see that there's no one like me. You think you're God, Pharaoh, you got something coming. Now jump over to chapter 10, just for some context. Sure enough, God's already sent the hailstorm, and now he's gonna send locusts to devour what was left of their crops. Then the Lord said, to, I'm in verse one, chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So he says, I'm gonna do this, not just so you can see it, Israel. Your grandkids are gonna hear about this. I want them to see that 
I am the Lord, that I am in control. Almost there, a few more skips. Uh, Chapter 14, verse four. So this is context, they've been, Pharaoh has let the people go, yeah, 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 yeah. They've been, they've left Egypt, they've plundered the Egyptians. Now they're at the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh is about to chase them. Verse four, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know, you guessed it, that I am the Lord. That's exactly what happened. Remember, Moses stood there with his staff. The Red Sea parted by the grace of God. The Israelites crossed on dry ground and the Egyptian army was crushed under the weight of the waters. God sent the waves crashing back down. And at the end of chapter 14, as the Israelites look back and see the Egyptians dead on the seashore, verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Over and over, God displayed his glory that he was the Lord and says, I want you to see that I am the Lord. God reigns, amen? He reigns. All of those passages make me think of Proverbs 21, one, which says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. (laughs) So Pharaoh thinks he's so big and bad and in control. And God says, man, I got your heart and your desires right here in my hand. You can't do anything without me letting you do it. (laughs) God reigns. The same God who reigned over the greatest nation the world had ever known at that time, who reigned over them and, and was sovereign over even Egypt, that same God reigns today. Even in a pandemic, God reigns. Even when there's political upheaval in the greatest nation on the earth still, when there's political upheaval here, God reigns. Even when your family seems to be in shambles and struggling and your life is not going where you thought it would, God reigns. He's still sovereign. Even when like Joseph, you feel like you're being integri- uh, you're having integrity, you're doing the right thing, you're moving forward, trying to be faithful to God only to be knocked back into a pit and then into a prison and then to be forgotten, still God reigns. He's still sovereign. And what the world intends for evil, as Genesis says, God intends for good. God reigns. So you know what? You can rest. <laughs> last time I checked, is, you can check me on this, last time I checked, I don't think God has taken applications for God. <laughs> I, crazy, he's not up for re-election this year. <laughs> he, he doesn't need your help. He's in control. He reigns. You know, we, we try to fight and push and worry And in reality, the picture of God we see in Exodus is that even the most powerful of us are simply a leaf carried along, carried along, and the rule, excuse me, let me try that again. (laughs) We're like a leaf carried along in the river of God's rule. Takes us where he wants. And he's good. (laughs) So we trust him. He reigns. You may say, 
Hayes, as you were as you were reading some of those, we were going through Exodus, kind of skipping through there. It seems like God's a little selfish and kind of egotistical. He wants everyone to know that he is the Lord. Like, what's that about? God being passionate about his glory and us knowing that he reigns and not us is not selfish of God, it's loving of God. There's no one bigger or better or more satisfying than him. So it's loving for God to say, come to me. (laughs) Come to me, all you who are weary, you're gonna find rest. Come to me, you don't have to carry the weight of the world, rather you can trust me because I'm in control. It's not hateful, it's not selfish of God, it's loving. For us to, to, for him to tell us, hey, there's no one bigger or better than me. You're gonna be all satisfied in me. He's the one who is worthy of all glory and praise. God remembers and God reigns. I want us to see the connection between those first two points and, and where we're gonna finish. It's because God remembers, he's faithful to his promises, and it's because he reigns, he's in control, he's sovereign, that he can do and wants to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Which leads us to our third thing, that is God redeems. God redeems. Look with me at chapter six. Chapter six, I wanna jump to verse six for a moment. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will, here's our word, redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So if you go back to verse six, I said redeem is kind of the word we wanna focus on for a second. Redeem at its most basic sense is to restore something to its original state. So in in this case with the Israelites, God's going to bring them out, and he does eventually, we see, to bring them out of slavery and bondage to Egypt and bring them into a a free uh, relationship with him where they can worship him freely and eventually into the promised land. So again, to begin to restore God's people to himself, to restore to the original state. But if you're a Bible student, like lots of you are, you know that most often in scripture, the word redeem or redemption has associated with it a payment. So meaning release by payment or freed by ransom. So there's payment involved. Now what's interesting in verse six of chapter six, and as you go through the plagues, God is bringing down the smackdown. He's opening up a can on the Egyptians, but you're not sure what the payment is because he's just bringing smack down, but where's the payment? So the question we've got to see, what is the payment? What was the price of redemption? It starts to make sense in chapter 12. So flip back over there for me. Chapter 12. I'm going to uh, summarize some of this, but I'll, I'll be sure to call out the voices, excuse me, the voices, call out the verses that I read to you so you can read them with me. So 
this is after all these plagues have happened and a final plague is threatened that God is going to kill the firstborn of all in the land. This is a serious plague. Again, all these plagues have happened. There's not been the hinge that set the Israelites free. Pharaoh keeps saying no. So God says he's gonna kill the firstborn. But to show grace to Israelites, he says, verse five, or he tells them they're supposed to take a lamb and verse five says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. They're supposed to keep it for several days and at the end of verse six, they shall kill, kill their lambs at twilight. And eventually we see they're supposed to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of their house. Look at verse 11, kind of halfway through verse 11 of chapter 12. He says, you shall eat it. So they're supposed to eat the meat of this lamb. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will be befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall, this is a key verse, we'll come back to it later. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now we're almost there. Jump with me to verse 21 so we can get the context again. Chapter, Sorry, verse 21, same chapter 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. That's exactly what happened. So the Israelites, some with great faith, some with maybe not as much confident faith but still had faith to do it, put the blood, killed the lambs, put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Sure enough, the Lord passed through and brought judgment on everyone who did not have the blood of the lamb over their house, over their doorpost. And then he passed over those houses, those people. And then after that key moment, so Pharaoh wakes up, the firstborn of Egypt, they're all dead, but the Israelites have not been touched. Then he let the people go. So question, what was the price of redemption for the Israelites being set free? The lamb, right? The lamb. Now, the blood of the lamb, to be specific, right? That was the payment. Again, I think no, no blood of the lamb the Israelites, they lose their firstborn too. They don't get set free. Blood of the lamb was the key turning point in the Exodus. Different question. Why in <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 14, did, did, did God say, this shall be a memorial day for you. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So he says, what I'm doing in the Passover 
you should, it's going to be a huge day. This is, this is like the Israelites July 4th. Okay. Like, you're, not to make, I'm not trying to make light of it, but like, this is a huge day. You're going to tell it from generation to generation. What happened at the Passover? Why did God make the Passover such a big deal? As many miracles as he did in the book of Exodus. Why was the Passover and what he did with the blood of the lamb? Why was it such a big deal to be remembered forever? Because the Passover lamb in Exodus pointed to very clearly the ultimate Passover lamb of Jesus Christ who comes in the gospels. First Corinthians tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb that he is the one whose blood was shed for us. And if we have been covered in his blood, the judgment of the Lord passes over us, amen? See, Genesis three tells us that all of us has sinned. That's Romans, but (laughs) Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that began back in Genesis three. So all of us have been cut off, separated from God, hopeless on our own. But Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And see, 2,000 years ago, God the Son put on flesh and blood, came to this earth as a little baby with the purpose of living the perfect life that we should have lived but can't, and then dying the death that we deserve to be the Passover Lamb for us. And it's through His blood that the Lord's judgment passes over us and ultimately allows us to be set free from sin and death and self and hell and set free into a right relationship with God and ultimately the real promised land, amen? He is the Passover land. That's why Isaiah spoke of him, Isaiah 53, he said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter to bear the sins of many. This is why John in John 129, John the Baptist said, he saw Jesus walk and he said, behold, that's a good word, right? Behold is not like, hey, look, behold, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why First Peter, I'm gonna turn there. You don't have to turn there. First Peter chapter one says, verse 18, that we were ransomed from our feudal ways, inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish. Remember that? They were supposed to take a lamb without blemish, the Passover lamb. Like a lamb without blemish, spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God redeems with the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Rest assured, church family, Jesus As God the Son, Jesus remembers. He says that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Rest assured, church family, that as God the Son, Jesus reigns. He's there at the right hand of the Father right now. And Philippians 2 says that there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. Jesus remembers, Jesus reigns, and Jesus certainly redeems. That's why Revelation 5 gives us this beautiful, true picture of all the saints and angels and all of creation gathered around the throne of God. And at the center of that throne is guess who? 
the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, slain before the foundation of the world. And it says that all of the saints worship him for his blood sacrifice that gave us redemption. Worthy is the lamb to be praised. Jesus remembers, Jesus reigns, Jesus redeems. So because of that, we wait patiently. Because of that, we, we rest. We're not in control, he is. Because of that, we worship. We give our all to him. He remembers, he reigns, he redeems. We're gonna enter a, a brief time of response. And my challenge to you as a believer would be to do those things in this moment. To, God, I wanna wait on you. I wanna be faithful knowing that you're faithful knowing that you remember me. God, I wanna rest in you knowing that you reign. And God, I wanna worship you every day, not just Sundays. I wanna worship you knowing that you redeem. So we're gonna have an opportunity to to just talk with God for a moment. If you do not know Jesus Christ, know that the blood of the lamb has been offered and can be placed over your life. If you will simply, it's not easy, but it's simple. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, the Passover lamb. Turn from your sin and say, Jesus, I I believe in who you are, that you are God the son who came to to live and die and rise again for me. I wanna place my faith and trust in you. When you do that, the, the judgment of God passes over you. And Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And because of Christ, you can walk freely out of, doesn't mean you're perfect now, but you walk out of your sin and shame and guilt. You walk out of that and into a restored, new, reconciled relationship with Christ. If you do that online, we would love to to connect with you. Maybe click that connect button or shoot us a message. If you're here in the room, there'll be some, some men down front afterwards that would love to talk with you and hear your story and pray with you. But I would also ask as believers that we not just wait and rest and worship, but also that we pray for those who don't yet know Christ. He's the hope of the world, the Passover lamb. Let's pray that they they would know the hope and the freedom, the exodus found in Christ, amen? I'm gonna give us a second to just pray quietly with the Lord and then I'll pray too, amen. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for the fresh reminder of who you've always been, that you're faithful, you remember us, you you reign, you're in control, and and you redeem. I pray that that fresh reminder of who you are, God, would would walk with us this week, Lord, that we would be able to to wait on you, to be faithful knowing you are faithful, that we would be able to, to rest knowing that you rule, and that we would be able to worship and gratitude for your redemption. God, I pray for, for folks that don't know you, that they would be, 
that you would draw them to yourself and they would be bold enough as soon as we're done with the service to come and talk with one of these men about what you're doing in their life. Or for maybe folks that uh, this morning they're here and they've been praying and considering through uh, joining a church or, what, or even baptism, what that looks like, I pray that you would give them boldness to respond, whether it's to fill out a communication card or talk with one of these men or to, to shoot us a message online, God, that you would give them boldness to respond. God, we love you. We're grateful for the blood of the lamb, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.